like when I hear there's no physiological difference between men and women, I'm like, that's that's crazy, guys. I mean, it's crazy because we're mammals. Okay, so I was talking to my best friend Higgy recently, and he told me that his father had, based on his advice, started doing a little bit of working out every day, like nothing serious. He was doing like 50 push-ups a day and 100 crunches or squats. No, 50 squats and 100 push-ups. And his father had told him that it had changed his whole life and that he had gotten uh, my friend's mother out walking too and that it was helping their marriage and all these things. And like he was really excited about this and I, I thought that was great. But at the same time, like really my first thought was dread at the idea that that small amount of physical activity was all that was holding him back from having a completely different experience in life. And I wanted to look into this more. Um, so I'm Sam, and this is the Illegitimate Scholar Podcast, the weekly cultural anthropology and history podcast that makes sense of our census world through indigenous and historical examples, academic methods and social science, and a perspective not limited by the crushing restrictions that come with traditional academia and public schools. Uh, why, why do I keep saying public schools and not government schools? And why, why do I not have that memorized by now? Whatever. Um, okay. So humans have evolved over millions of years, and, and recent archaeological finds have found modern humans to be about 300,000 years old. And this is just the last few years. They, they find older stuff all the time. And I, I mean, it would make no sense to think that every time we find something, we find the oldest possible example of it. So it makes sense. But we know we can prove that human beings are at least modern humans have existed for 300,000 years, which is a long time. Modern brains and bodies, um, but a life experience no one alive today has ever really experienced. Um, so at best, cities and agriculture have been around for tens of thousands of years. So all of the evolution leading up to modern humans, and then for 98% of the time after that even, humans lived as hunter-gatherers. And all of our DNA was created to incentivize us towards behavior that helped us survive as hunter-gatherers, but sometimes becomes detrimental when applied to the modern world. And my friend's father would not have been able to, get, to, to be that lethargic in more traditional human life. Uh, hunter-gatherer hunter or agriculturalist farmer. His daily life would have met those physical demands just naturally based on how he was living as a hunter-gatherer or a farmer. And I think that this is really important, that just the way that life was, the, the way that everyone's life just, the way that everybody had to uh, work to, to live, the, what people experienced in their daily life, the way that they lived which is basically what culture is. So people's culture, the way that they interacted with the world that they shared with other people, uh, just met their physical and emotional needs and spiritual needs. It, it did this naturally. Whereas today, there's a lot more of these, what I like to call layers of social construct. And, that, and that's what we're going to get into today. Um, so his daily life would have met those physical demands which helped his psychology and interpersonal relationships just with what he did. But since he drove a truck, his life was not in line with exercise. So, you know, 200 years ago, basically everybody is, uh, is, is working. You know, being fat used to be like, oh, you're a king. You don't have to work. You can get fat. Uh, gout was like a royal disease, right? Because you get it from like just chilling. Now, like, you know, 
you don't have to be rich to have gout. You can be on welfare and have gout. I think a lot of a lot of people that are on welfare have gout. And that's not, you know, I'm not crapping on people that have welfare. What I'm saying is our culture is not set up to meet needs of most people and especially people that are the lower classes, uh, there's lower social, socioeconomic classes, um, how they're treated and how they live in our society and how pretty much everybody lives. So today I'm going to go over some ways that our Western life differs from life in the past over time and how this increasing disconnect and how this increasing disconnect from nature and tradition permeates every aspect of Western life and leaves most Westerners in a state of near constant cognitive dissonance. Before I start, I just want to ask that if I've given you any sort of value with the show, um, I would really, really appreciate it if you would help me by rating the podcast, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts. I don't have a lot of ratings there. And I would also ask that, you know, if you find an episode that you think a friend would like, it, it would really help me out a lot if you shared it with that person. Genesis 1:26, And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So if you've been listening to the podcast for a little while, you, you've probably heard me talk about traditional religions, and those would be like hunter-gatherer religions, maybe horticulturalist religions. And, and oftentimes these religions are, are very connected to nature and, and maybe a part, a part of nature, much more of a part of nature. When you look at monotheism and, and compare it to some of these other traditional religions that you are probably aware of if you've listened to my podcast for a little bit, I've talked about some of them, is they're much more directly related to nature. So they're a lot more involved with the natural world. And it is true that often they are a part of the natural world and subordinate to the natural world. You know, praying to gods um, like sun gods, even the Aztecs, which were a very advanced people with an advanced culture, Whereas this is explicitly saying that humans are in charge of nature. And I think that that is in a lot of people. I, I think that even people today who are not Christian in the West, at least they say they're not Christian, they still have this idea that humans are somehow separate from animals. So in, in this conception that some people have, that God has given human beings the dominion over the earth— they're in a situation where they're still subordinate to God, but everything else is subordinate to humans in the natural world, on the earth. But once you go past that, in, in the post-religious West, as we see religious, religious uh, people saying their religion is declining. Again, we're going to go into that on why I don't think that's necessarily true. It's just being applied in a different way. But now people still have the idea that human beings are not a part of nature, right? So they still have the idea in their head that human beings deserve dominion over the earth, even if they're talking about climate change and everything. I think this this post-religious West is has this idea that human beings are the gods and can be the gods and should be the gods and should be doing things like creating AI. And I, hot take, I guess, but we obviously still have this idea that we're separate from nature because when you look at these... When you look at religious people in the West today, they're the ones saying, what, human human beings, you know, sex is immutable, of course. Like, they're talking about chromosomes, all this stuff. 
And I'm not saying that's wrong. And then there are the, you know, leftist, liberal, purple hairs, whatever you want to call it, saying, like, I identify as a fairy um, at the most extreme end. And, like, in that women can, like, trans women can compete in men's sports because there's no physiological difference. But, like, when I hear there's no physiological difference between men and women, I'm like, that's that's crazy, guys. We're mammals. And in my worldview, when I'm someone who is is so connected to the idea of human beings as animals, that's a very foundational belief for me. Um, because ultimately what makes us different from other animals, I wouldn't say animals, is a lot of things. But that doesn't mean that we aren't still animalistic in many ways. And I think that a lot of this cognitive dissonance comes from subduing our uh, natural tendencies and, and being separated from nature more. So you have the religious people that are at this level that think we're separate from nature, but they're still they still got a foot in the hot tub. OK, because they they still understand that there are mutable immutable differences between men and women, natural world, Noah's Ark type stuff. OK, but with the liberals, the the post, the common idea in that ideology now is that men can be women, women can be women. I'm not saying women can be men. I'm not saying that, like, I'm against trans people. I'm not. I'm just saying that 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 is the idea. And. And trans athletes can compete. I, I wonder why there's uh, never any trans men that make it to number one in the women's sports, though. But when you believe that human beings are animals and you believe we're mammals, then we're sexually dimorphic. We'd be the only mammals that aren't sexually dimor dimorphic if we were. And why would that be true? I, it almost feels like the, I mean, these are the Darwin type people, the type of people who were like, throwing evolution in and you know i i'm not saying how i feel about evolution i mean i i believe in evolution but what <laughs> why like how can you believe in the evolution of species and then also believe that there isn't sexual differences between men and women because i mean it, that doesn't make any sense it doesn't make any sense so and, and they understand there's differences between male and female animals, but a lot of them just don't explicitly understand that human beings are animals. So this connection to nature is something that I think is gone. It, it has been eroded in most people's daily lives today, a lot of people's daily lives. So we have these rising mental health issues. So I'm just going to read a, a few statistics here, and these are from the CDC. So anxiety disorders. 31.9% of children in 2019, pre-pandemic, I wonder what it is now, had an anxiety disorder, up from 25.2% in 2005. Depressive disorder. 13.2% of children in 2019 had a depressive disorder, up from 10.2% in 2005. Attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. 9.4% of children in 2019 had ADHD, up from 7.8% in 2005. So it's possible that this is just reporting on this stuff more, or, or people going to the doctor more. You know, it's, it's not necessarily evidence of things getting worse, but I wouldn't be surprised. And it seems like things are changing, and the changes that are being made, I think, are obviously it's going to lead to something like this. Look, I shouldn't have to explain the benefits of going out into nature, but modern life requires like a source 
I guess. So I'm going to give you a source on why going outside is beneficial. And just before I do, just think about that for a minute. Like human beings should implicitly understand that you should be outside. If being indoors just separates you from all of the elements, it's climate controlled. You're separated from the sun. You're separated from other living things like ground. You, you got your feet and shoes. Go outside for two hours a day and put your feet in the grass. Just do it. Um, it's good for you. So there are studies, and I've linked these, and I'm going to go over a few of these stats. Uh, but if you want to check those out, they're in the Discord always. Um, so people that spend more than 120 minutes a day outdoors are over 60% as likely to report good health and 30% more likely to report high well-being than those that have less. But only a third of Americans do that, and it's the lowest amongst Gen Z, the youngest generation, which is really unfortunate. Um, and then we have food, okay? Our food is hyper-processed. I was just recently on uh, in Liberty and Health, uh, Kyle Matov. God, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Um, and he told me apparently seed oils aren't that bad uh, for some cardio protective reason. But I, I certainly am of the opinion that anything that's more processed ultimately is probably worse and try to cut out as much processing as possible. And I'm not saying I don't like I do eat processed food, but I choose when I'm going to eat the processed food because I like it so much and I don't want to waste it on something I don't like, if that makes sense. Um, you know, I, I love McDonald's hamburgers, cheeseburgers, and I, I love Twinkies. I don't get those as often, but look, so seed oils don't exist in nature. Sugary drinks don't exist in nature. Uh, like, um, I mean, even cane, I mean, cane sugar that's processed doesn't exist in nature, but it's a lower level of processing. Um, the more and more processing there is, the, the more separated from like just created by the natural world it gets. And, you know, I'm not I'm not saying this is always bad, but, you know, it's it's our ancestors were seeking out foods in the natural world to meet their nutritional needs. Right. So their tastes and what they like to eat were based on like the availability of certain things and people really like sugar and that's because they need to be looking for like sugar which mostly was naturally in fruit but when you get to the 2020s and you can just like take sugar and put it into a drink which really doesn't exist in nature they were there were no juice bars in like paleo native american times or or st the stone age in europe that doesn't make any sense so i mean i guess you could squeeze the juice out of a fruit but that's the closest thing you're getting to liquid sugar you're not gonna like you're not getting simple syrup condensed from something in like a time when you got a loincloth on so when when you're processing the food so much i mean as soon as you start processing the food you're you're getting it away from its national natural state. And I look again, not all this stuff is bad, but it's just the giant net that just keeps building and building to more of this stuff. Um family. Okay? Family and how we live. So western culture is hyper individualistic. Uh in in a lot of traditional societies there's no divorce uh or very seldom is there divorce. And in a lot of traditional Western, I mean, in traditional Western societies, divorce isn't really a thing. And of course, there's also like no votes for landowning males or for women. I, I do want to address, though, of course, that somebody's going to be like, well, back then when there wasn't divorce, like women were, 
like women were discriminated against and some people and they couldn't vote. And what I would say to that is that like, yes, I understand. Like, yes, I'm not saying that's good. But what I am saying is that women in that time couldn't vote. Yes. But neither could men who didn't own land. And they were usually anyone under 25. I mean, very few men could vote. The difference here is that the center of traditional life in the United States and in other places in the West is the family unit, not the individual. In the individualistic West, we just think, oh, like you're an individual, one individual, one vote. But but even in like early U.S., I mean, a young man who was a bachelor who didn't own land still in his father's household isn't necessarily emancipated at 18 and viewed as a full member of society. He's still under his father's household. He's not an individual. That individual can't vote. So it's not like they just hated women and they didn't want women to vote. It was that the family unit is the is the lowest form that they really care about rather than the individual. And the man, the patriarch, is the head of the family unit. Um, and again, I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's what it was. So now, I mean, the individual it, it is is the most important. And obviously, divorce is a lot higher. And again, I understand sometimes women are abused. There are situations where women need to get out of. But w- what's happened is that in our society, single parents, single parenting has become acceptable. And since it's become acceptable, it's become very common. And the reasons for doing it have become less and less. And there is a lot of statistics that show that living in a supportive two-parent household is integral to uh, success in life. And what I will tell you, I don't have these statistics offhand. I've cited them in another episode. So if somebody wants to come after me for this and they can't find it on their own, I will find it for you if you send me an email. But a white man who grows up with one parent or maybe a single mother, one of the two, one parent, is more likely to go to prison than a black man who grows up with two parents. So if a black person, if a black man has two parents, he grows up with both of his parents, he is less likely to go to prison than a white man who grew up with one parent. And, and that's remarkable because especially if you're somebody that like, well, number one, even if you're not somebody who's like, ah, oh, the U.S. is the most racist place in the world. Holy shit. Um, if you are that person, you're, you're probably not listening to my podcast. But um, it is true that black people are more likely to go to prison. We can argue about the reasons for that. There's a, a bunch of different ones. But just just hear that. I mean, it's a fact that black people are way more likely to go to prison than white people. Black men are way more likely to go to prison than white men. And yet we have this situation where there is another factor that is actually more important than race. And it's much more important. It's kind of crazy. So, you know, it's important. But in our society, the individual is considered important and divorce is incentivized for women. I mean, there it's not a secret that divorce court is like. It, it's favorable to women. If, if you're hearing this and you're like, divorce court isn't favorable to women, you're you're either a woman who's not being fair about the situation, because if you're being fair about the situation, you know it's unfair, or you're not old enough to have friends that have dealt with divorce court and stuff like that. And, you know, like, guys got to fight to see their kids. It's crazy. It's absolutely insane. Um, So... 
there there's an incentivize whether that's been done on purpose or not there's been an incentive to destroy the family even though it's the most important thing for a child's success so we're stepping away from the family unit we're stepping away from food we're st we're stepping away from unprocessed food um, we're stepping away from the outside natural world we're doing all these things and and ultimately everything together with all the social constructs we have all of these things they bring us further and further away from nature and with my conception of god i think that it makes us stray further and further from god and from our true purpose and from our true human nature and i'm not saying what human nature is or what our true purpose is but what i am saying is that i i i think that things should be a little bit more basic and they should be a little bit more or less human centric so i i'm I'm going to read a passage here, and this is from, I'll, I'll tell you what it's from in a second. Okay, so two passages. This first one is, psychologists use the term, and this is to introduce socialization. Psychologists use the term socialization to designate the process by which children are trained to think and act as society demands. A person is said to be well socialized if he believes in and obeys the moral code of his society and fits in well as a functioning part of that society. It may seem senseless to say that many leftists are over-socialized since the leftist is perceived as a rebel. Nevertheless, the position can be de defended. Many leftists are not such rebels as they seem. Um, and the guy who wrote this, he's saying leftist in kind of like the cultural Marxist sense, not necessarily like communist. Um, and this is, a this is also known as acculturation in sociology or in anthropology. So it's, it's children being socialized and being taught the culture. So now I'm going to read about uh, these thoughts about the, the primitive world. And, and it's in it, I wanted to introduce socialization because that's related to these ideas in this next passage later in the book. For primitive societies, the natural world, which would use which usually changes slowly, provided a stable framework and therefore a sense of security. In the modern world, it is human society that dominates nature rather than the other way around. And modern society changes very rapidly owing to technological change. Thus, there is no stable framework. The conservatives are fools. They whine about the decay of traditional values, yet they enthusiastically support technological progress and economic growth. Apparently, it never occurs to them that you can't make rapid, drastic changes in the technology and the economy of a society without causing rapid changes in all other aspects of the society as well, and that such rapid changes inevitably break down traditional values. The breakdown of traditional values, to some extent, implies the breakdown of the bonds that hold together traditional small-scale social groups. The disintegration of small-scale social groups is also promoted by the fact that modern conditions often require or tempt individuals to move to new locations, separating themselves from their communities. Beyond that, a technological society has to weaken family ties and local communities if it is to function efficiently. In modern society, an individual's loyalty must be first to the system and only secondarily to a small-scale com community. Because if the internal loyalties of small-scale communities were stronger than loyalties to the system, such communities would pursue their own advantage at the expense of the system. Suppose that a public official or a corporation executive 
appoints his cousin, his friend, or his co-religionist to a position rather than appointing the person best qualified for the job. He has permitted personal loyalty to supersede his loyalty to the system, and that is nepotism or discrimination, both of which are terrible sins in modern society. Would-be industrial societies that have done a poor job of subordinating personal or local loyalties to loyalty to the system are usually very inefficient. Look at Latin America. Thus, an advanced industrial society can tolerate only those small-scale communities that are emasculated, tamed, and made into tools of the system. So that those passages were from Ted Kaczynski's manifesto, Industrial Revolution, uh, and or Industrial Society and its Consequences. Um, and I, I didn't say that to laughter because somebody listening probably has like a bad view of Ted Kaczynski. Um, I don't have an overall positive view of Ted Kaczynski. I think, of course, it's it's abhorrent to murder people, um, especially like, you know, you could argue that certain people deserve it based on their other actions. I mean, I still am just ultimately not a supporter of any violence at all, because I think generally when you're committing violence, you know, you can always make a justification for it, but it's... You can make great justifications, but it's still taking the words of man and the ideas of man to justify taking the life of somebody that and I and I just don't view it as a humans. I don't view it as acceptable for humans to take to decide to take the lives of other humans on purpose. So the but I shared that passage because it, it really. It shows the connection between ideologies that are detached from the natural world and the technology that separates us from the natural world and how natural that is. And I think that he's a much better writer and thinker than I am. So he put it in words better than I could understand. So I, I hope you enjoyed that. And um, killing people is bad. Um, and if you're still listening to this right now, you know, uh, I really appreciate you listening to the whole thing. And if you're still here, please, please leave me a rating. Um, if there's any shows you'd like me to go on, send that person a message. That would go a really long way. Like if there's a show that you know that takes guests and you're like, I want to see the illegitimate, illegitimate scholar on there. If like it's a show you listen to, that will mean a lot coming from you. That's a way you could really help me out um, or join the Discord. Please join the conversation uh, we're having over there. And um, yeah, also maybe share it with a friend. Thank you so much.